Moses said, Lord, teach us to number our days. And boy, as we get older and as the year goes by, those things become more and more emphatic in our lives. Teach us to number our days. How many days do we have left? Only the Lord knows. But I could probably guess, right? We could probably guess if the majority of, you know, the average person, men, women, 75, 80 years old, you can calculate how many days you have left. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That's yeah, interesting. It's not scary, is it? Is it scary? No? Half the rooms, this room says no, this room says yes. So it, 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 it shouldn't be. It should be sobering. That's probably what you mean. It's sobering to think that there's only a limited amount of time that we get to serve the Lord on this earth. And uh, the fact that we know him, it's an incredible first step. Amen to that. But then there's the calling of our families to let them know and to make him known to them. And that's what we strive for the rest of our lives. After we come to the Lord, we strive the rest of our life to get them to know Jesus. And by the grace of God, from our families, my family, your family, have come to know the Lord one by one. We keep praying. And as long as the Lord gives us breath, we're going to endeavor to do that every day of our lives. That should be our first calling, our children, our loved ones, our family, our parents, our grandkids, our grandparents, and then the world. <laughs> and so it's, it's a great commission. We are in the last part of Galatians, and if we've been with us, if you've been with us for this time, we have been aware that Galatians, it's about freedom, the freedom that we have in Jesus, the Magna Carta, the liberty of Christian, uh, the Christian liberty or the Christian gospel. It's found in the book of Galatians, what it is to be a Christian, and not only that, what is the liberty of a Christian, and how do we use the liberty? And we talked about walking together in the Spirit, which ultimately is Paul's last example in chapter 5, how to walk together, because the freedom of the Spirit, it's not a license to do whatever you want. It's not a license to be ruled by personal feelings and emotions. It is a rule of the Spirit. You are ruled by the Spirit now. You went from the rule of the flesh to now be ruled by the Spirit. And, and we talked about the flesh. It's not your physical body. It is the old mentality and nature that we have. All the things that we normally do in our, in our normal state as, a, as an individual, the way we respond to things, the way we naturally are faulted in our old creation and our old nature. That's the flesh. And there's a list of them in Galatians chapter 5. But then Paul says you're now to be ruled by the Spirit because that's true freedom. True freedom is now found in external laws. You can't give laws to each one of you and say, hey, do this and you'll be free. Because what I did is I just put you back under regulations and, and law. But somebody may say, Pastor, if you just, if you tell, if you let Christians do whatever they want, they're going to go right back into sin. They're going to go right back to the old nature. Well, that's where the problem would be if they go back to their self. If they're ruled by self, it's also imprisonment. The natural man thinks, hey, I don't have laws, so I'm going to do whatever I want. And they go right back into, and they, and they fall back into severe sin, probably worse than what they were in a legalistic standpoint because they've been bound by laws. Now they rebel, shackles come off. And they think, I'm free, and they go right into more of an oblivion. 
destruction of the flesh, sexual in nature, a lot of those things become evident after people free themselves from the law, they say, they go into severe sin. And that is a decline. So Paul says you need to be ruled by the Spirit. But not just ruled by the Spirit by yourself. You are to walk by the Spirit in the Spirit on your own, but you're to walk with others. And See, there's another thing, because people say, well, I'm just better by myself. I can walk with the Lord by myself, me and Jesus, all the way. And that's also wrong. And that cuts a grain against a lot of things that you hear on the radio and TV and all this stuff, where Christians rather be lone wolves. The Bible never calls us to do that. The Bible says to be together, walking in the Spirit. And so Paul's final admission, look, you need the fruit of the Spirit. You need the gospel. You need the cross. And he's going to end with this. And let's read together verse 11, because that's where we left off. He doesn't know he has a few verses left, but uh, it's kind of interesting the way he ends it. As Paul's writing this and he's bringing to a conclusion, he says in verse 11, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But it may never be that I should boast except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I cannot find so much brilliant eloquence to what the Christian life is like in that little, in that, in that little sentence right there. I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. For neither is circumcision anything, or uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. We're going to have fun with that one, because that's a very controversial verse. Verse 17, but now let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Why does Paul begin this with large letters? Verse 11. Why does he say, with, look, with large letters I wrote to you? And they have a field day with this. Commentators go round and round, and then you can I give you all the books. They're voluminous, voluminous books on exactly what Paul meant. Although we ultimately don't know exactly what he was trying to say, we can get it from the context. Paul sometimes would write, and sometimes would write a letter through a secretary. An amenuensis. An amenuensis is a secretary. That's the Greek word, amenuensis. It is a secretary, not a stenographer, but a secretary which would write as Paul would write the letters, as Paul would say the letters or, or speak the letters or he'll be preaching. An amenuensis would write them down. He would normally would do that. Paul says here, I have written this letter to you with large letters. It would seem to be that Paul is writing this letter, which would be a very interesting thing. There are not many letters Paul wrote himself. This is one of them. Uh, and, and, and people may disagree. And I'm not, I'm not denouncing the fact that some people say, that, oh, no, this is, uh, and Emmanuel has actually wrote this letter. Paul just wrote that verse. There's people that believe that, but that's not the discussion here. Paul made it a point that he's writing to them. It's an important letter. So important, I'm writing to you, right? It's like writing to your children. You want somebody else to write it? You want to write it yourself? Well, I write it myself. We don't write anymore, but emails, something like that, right? Send a text or something like that. That's more in line to what we think. But 
when people wrote letters, do anybody write letters here anymore? Anybody here write letters? Write letters? No? No? Hand goes numb? Okay. Shaky. Oh, shaky. Okay, yeah. Text. Um, for those who write letters still, it's very personal. If you get a personal letter, handwritten, they feel a little bit different than a text or an email, right? You get one of those, you know, you get those newsletters from like uh, churches or something like that. Same thing. It's just your name change and it's just, somebody faked handwriting, but it's just one of those, uh, those computers that mimic handwriting. Paul is writing this letter, and he says, look what kind of letters I have written to you, with what large letters. And what Paul is saying here, I have written to you in big letters. And so people question it. What was wrong with Paul? We know from church history, Paul struggled with his eyesight. He struggled with his eyesight, and so it was very difficult for him to write anything. It was very difficult for him to write anything. And people have wondered, what what was Paul's issue with the eye? And this is a a big discussion, but we're not going to get into that discussion. Summarize it. Much better. A summary. Paul had a problem with his eye, no doubt about it. Which kind of problem did he have? Well, you remember on the road to Damascus. On the road to Damascus, he saw a big, red, gray light, brighter than the sun, and he went blind. Now, we're told in Acts that Ananias prayed for him, and he was healed. Ananias was the vehicle that got used to heal Paul's eyesight. And that is normally to do something with the back of the eye. Normally, that, that injury, we're seeing a, a light, like if you, you know, they tell you, don't look at an eclipse, you know, because your eye will go bad. It has something to do with the back of your eye, something to do with the back of your eye, and that would be your retina, right? Something that's wrong, you, it's usually because you saw a great light or it was burnt or something like that. But Paul was healed. Paul was healed from that. However, we know that Paul struggled with his eyesight, and church history tells us that. He couldn't see really well. And we're told in a couple of passages in Acts that he couldn't even see the high priest when he was on trial. And he didn't know that was the high priest, and they, they beat him up for it because he said something, and the high priest was standing there, and he said, I didn't even know that was the high priest. Here we have another mention of Paul saying, look what large letters I have written to you. You only write large letters if you're a kid or you can't see. And this is what Paul's dealing with. Most commentators, and I would agree, Paul had the issue with the front of the eye, the retina, right? The retina, which gets really irritated when you're on dusty roads and in hot climates. Or where was Paul? Where was Paul, you know? <laughs> Usually on dusty roads and hot climates. He didn't, you know, he wasn't hanging out at the, you know, at the beach of the Mediterranean. You know, he was saying, well, I'm saved anyway, so I'm just going to go to heaven to be with the Lord. He was actively serving the Lord. That's a, that's a calling for us too, right? When you get saved, welcome to ministry. Here's some stuff to do. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, is, you know, I'm, I'm saved, I'm good, you know, I'm going on vacation. Uh, not that vacation is going bad, but it's a permanent vacation, they think. I don't have to do anything. Well, when you get saved, you get to work. One, oh, praise the Lord. When you get saved, you get to work, the right work. Not dead works of the law, not dead works to try to be saved, but the right works, the right actions, the right actions because we have been saved by Jesus. So that's what Paul did. But in the Middle East, this is quite interesting. He had this thorn in the flesh, so to speak. Commentators have argued, is this the thorn of the flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, a messenger of Satan came in and buffeted me. I don't know. We'll talk about that as we get to the end, because Paul talks about the marks on his body that he bore for Jesus. We don't know. Now, I do believe that it was some kind of eyesight that he had an issue with, but I don't think it was a thorn in the flesh. His eyesight was, may not be the thorn in the flesh, although 
we could disagree with that. He told the Galatians in chapter 1, I know when I came to you, you would have given me your own eyes for me. Right? You would have given your own eyes. They loved Paul so much, and he had been persecuted in that area, in the area of Lystra, which is southern Galatia. They knew Paul's uh, resume, as it would, uh, so to speak, and he knew, they knew that Paul had trouble with his eyes, and they wanted to help him. And um, Paul had issues with this. So this is what verse 11 is about. And I just saved you a whole lot of books to read because they go on and on about what it could have been and what it could not have been. And anyway, you can read them on your own if you like, but that's the summary of it. They ultimately don't know if it's a thorn in the flesh or ultimately was just an eyesight problem that he had. We, all, we do know that he couldn't see very well. Large letters, couldn't see the high priest standing before him. So he had difficult writing. The point is, he wrote the letter himself. What kind of a difficult thing would be to, I mean, have you ever tried to do something without your glasses? I have them now. (laughs) Would you do it for somebody that you love? Absolutely. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, Look at verse 10. So, while there's an opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. That's the context, right? Paul is saying, you, we, we should be actively doing serving, serving people, serving the world by the gospel and, and doing good to them, but especially those who are believers. And then he says, look with what large letters I've written to you. I care for you. If there's a person, if there's a group of people that I care about, Paul says, it's you. Look the trouble that I'm going through. I'm writing with large letters, something that's very difficult to do, but I'm doing it because I care for you and I have a concern for you. And he's going, and he says, I could have used a secretary. I could have just had an amanuensis write this stuff, but I am writing it to you. It's a deep concern and a deep love that he had for them. So now I'm going to summarize it. I don't know if Paul got to the end of the scroll, because remember, they're written in scrolls. They're not written in your books like this. They're written in scrolls, and I don't know if Paul got to the end of it and said, "Uh uh-oh, I've been writing large letters. (laughs) You know, I did that all the time because my writing is terrible. Sometimes I write big letters, small letters, and it's all over the place. And then I get to the end of like, oh, I don't know, erase it. There's no erasers there. You get to the end of the scroll, and Paul says, oh, boy, I'm writing large letters. I'm getting to the end of it. I don't want to do a part two. I am going to summarize all that I've been saying for five and a half chapters, or almost six chapters now. I'm going to summarize it. And he says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Paul as I told you at the beginning of this, this letter, when we started write, uh, studying it, Paul, some people believe Paul's carried away in this letter. Some churches don't study this letter. Some churches stay away from this letter. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to talk about it. Why? Because it is a letter that goes right to the heart of what is against the gospel. And one of the things that goes against the gospel, Paul is going to describe it in his own time, was religion. Don't, don't get it confused. He's talking about circumcision, but there's something beyond the circumcision. Okay, it wasn't just about circumcision, other ones that wouldn't apply to women. Paul's not saying this is only for men, only about the circumcision, don't worry about it, girls, you guys are good. He's saying the circumcision, it's the point of entry where these false teachers, the Judaizers, came into the camp of the Galatians and says, in order for you to be a true Christian, you need to be circumcised. In order for you to really be a part of God's people, you need to be like Jesus. Wasn't Jesus a Jew? Yeah. Then you need to be like him. Wasn't Jesus circumcised? Yeah. So you need to be like him. Follow him and you'll do it. And this is the way people get embroiled with this. They try to be like the Lord and then they get, they get this, you know, sort of a, um, this trick that's done to them. In the Hebrew root especially. 
Don't you want to see Jesus? Don't you want to be like him? Well, he did the, oh, the whole Torah thing. He did everything, so you should do it too. Never telling them, never telling them that there are things that in the New Testament are told to Christians not to do. Never telling them that, that they don't have to be under the law of Moses. And this is Paul's point here. The law of Moses, religion, the religion of the day, the law of Moses being brought upon Christians, believers, and they're being told, you need to do this in order to follow Jesus. And Paul came and said, no, 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 no. It is by faith. Amen. You begin with faith, you continue in faith, and you end with faith. Amen. Paul says in Romans 1, faith to all who believe, right? It's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to all who believe. From faith to faith. Meaning you start with faith, and you don't get better at it and go, oh, I don't need faith anymore. It says you end with faith. You continue in faith, and you go on with faith until the end. That's the gospel of Jesus. But religion does something interesting. And I would say this. Most of America has religion. Most of America has religion. You know what they call it? Churchianity. Churchianity. No matter what you call it in front of the building, it doesn't matter what's on the building. It doesn't matter what the name's on the building. It doesn't matter. It's churchianity, meaning that it is on the basis of religious following that we consider ourselves Christians, right? America... Great Britain, all these other places that have had religion for a long time. It's on that basis that they base a relationship with God. Churchianity. Paul takes his pen and says, look, I'm going I'm to write it at the end. This is it. I'm going to summarize it and says, you know what? Mankind loves religion. Look what it says. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh. Mankind loves religion. Don't get me wrong. Religion will never end. I know they're trying to overthrow it and they say, oh, religion, freedom of religion, freedom from religion. Don't get it wrong. They'll never get rid of religion. Why? Man will just make another one. They'll stop one. They'll start another one. You know, they'll stop, stop Christianity. They'll erect Marxism, communism, all the isms. All the isms that you can possibly find, they'll just be erected again, right? Two isms that every Christian should be doing. Anybody know what those are? I've said it enough times. Evangelism, baptism. That's it. Give me those two isms. Keep all the other ones. Any ism will be lifted up. That's what man's going to do. That's what man's going to do. And Paul says about religion, about his own religion, he says they're rubbish. Scubula. I'm not going back to that message, but you guys enjoy that one. Uh, Scubula. It's just rubbish. It's just dumb. All that I did as a religious person, Paul says, it doesn't count. Pile it up, throw it away, flush it down. It won't matter anything what I did as, uh, using religion to try to get to God. It won't happen. And America does the same thing, using religion to try to get to God. And it's interesting. There's a big difference between religion and the gospel. I didn't like religion when I was not saved. I used to use it as an excuse not to get to God because I saw religion as a big hypocritical game. It's all about money. It's all about fear, right? They put people in fear, so you need to do something. Light a candle, do this, whatever, right? They put people in fear, you need something to deal with death, so what are you going to do? Well, hold on to this, wear this, do that. That will deal with your fear of death, right? You need to do something to, you know, to get to heaven. Well, here it is, knock on doors, hold on to this rosary, do this thing. It goes on and on and on to deal with your fear of death and trying to get to God. When I read what Jesus said, I said, Jesus is not religion. Jesus never taught religion. Jesus was absolutely about himself in the gospel, right? The freedom that he could bring from sin and religion. 
So this is what, it's, what religion does. Three things, very quickly. Religion makes it a social distinction. A social distinction, meaning this. It's what everybody does. I'll give you one example. My own family, Hispanic family, Hispanic family. You guys like know exactly what it is. You guys are not Hispanic, but you have other social distinctions. My grandfather did it. My father did it. I'm going to do it. It's just, what, just what you do. It's just what you do. That's a social distinction. I'm this, I'm that because my grandfather was. I'm this, I'm that because my grandmother was. I'm this, I'm that my mom was. My, my grandfather did it. My dad did it, so I should do it too. Never thinking, what, are they, what did they do? Was it good? Was it bad? No, it's just what we did. You ask the average person, you say, why are you religious? I don't know. My grandfather did it. My, my dad did it. My mom did it. We just are. Never thinking about it, right? It's just absolutely a distinction. It's, put it this way, why do non-believers get married in church? They still do. What? It's just, yeah, that's what it is. We just do. My mom was married there. My grandmother was married there. I just do it. No, no love of God, no relationship with God. It's just something that you do. It's just religion. That's, that's what religion is. Everybody all right? Social distinction. It's just who I am. I don't know why. I just am. <laughs> um, Jewish people, the same thing. They go to synagogue for social reasons. Make a deal. You know, sign the deal. <laughs> we laugh about it, but I went to church. And church, that's what they did too. You know, they knew the banker was there. He went to church with the banker. He got the, you know, got the loan from the guy that went to church with the other guy. And it was a social thing. It was just a, they, they, they came to church, you know, reverend, you know, priest, father, whatever, you know, priest, rabbi. They just, and they, okay, good, thank you. Thank you for the message. Now we're going to do the deal. They go in the back, signed it, right? This is a social thing. You went to the right church, you got the deal. You didn't go to the right synagogue, you didn't get the deal. That's what it was. And that's what it is to this day. Paul lived it. Paul was not a guy outside of religion. He was involved in it to such degree. He says, I am the Hebrew of the Hebrews, meaning that he was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was absolutely involved in all of this. He knew. And one day he found Jesus, and he says, this is not religion. This is different. You know what he found? He found, look at verse 12. They try to make a good showing in the flesh, try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That's the difference between religion and the gospel, the cross. And Paul's going to make that, this, that, that point over and over again. It's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. There's no social distinction with the cross. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. We all need the cross, we all need Jesus to be saved. Church may be acceptable. Church Yana may be acceptable, but not the cross. You talk about the cross, ooh, you're one of those, right? People may boast about their church, about their denomination, about where they go, about where they attend, but do people boast about the cross? We ought to. We should. But it's the last thing we boast, isn't it? It's the last thing we boast on. It's the cross. But let's keep going. It's not socially acceptable, by the way, to boast about the cross. It's not socially acceptable. People usually talk about something else rather than the cross. People talk about their pastors and rabbis and teachers more than they talk about the cross. Isn't that weird? The most central thing about our, our salvation is the least thing we talked about. We'd rather talk about the guy who is in the pulpit. They compel you to be circumcised. Look what it says. They compel you to be circumcised. This is what religion does. It's a force. You need to do this, and they guilt you into it. It's a big guilt. <laughs> 
Oh, how could you let your grandmother down? How can you let your father down? How can you let your ancestors down? They compel you. And Paul says, look, remember, he's talking as a Jew about what they do. But he's not just referring to circumcision. He's referring to the whole aspect of religion. Remember, circumcision is just in, it's the tip of the iceberg to all underneath all that stuff that is under the Mosaic law, 613 laws. Now, we don't understand it as in a circumcision way because no one's compelling anybody to get circumcised. Some circles they do, but that's not here. Here, it's mostly talking about religion. We're just referring to what religion does, right? They compel you to do it. And by the way, religion doesn't like to be persecuted. Look what Paul says. They do this simply that they may not persecute, they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They compel you, and when there's opposition, they don't like to be persecuted, so they leave. And this is what happened to religious people. Persecution comes on the scene, the persecution of the cross comes on the scene, all the religious people go out the door. Mostly. Mostly all of them leave. Because it's religion. It's just what you do. Remember, it's a distinction. The other part is, Paul says, verse 13, For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast on your flesh. It's all about the flesh. It's all about the outward. It's respectability. Respectability. How do we look? How do we look when we do that? Were they there when I was there? Right? I know places where so-called whatever, stars, movie stars go, and sometimes they announce so-and-so is going to be at this church. Guess what happens to the church attendance that day? I don't know who Justin Bieber is, really. I have no idea. I don't have, I, I'm old. I could care less. But he started going to church. Guess what happened to that church? People started going and going and going, and I don't even think it's a good church that he goes to. He's like a universalist anyway. But what happens? It's all about respectability. It's all about the flesh, isn't it? It's, am I doing the right ceremony? Is so-and-so going to be there? Now, we don't see it in, in, in our day and age too much, but in social classes, in high classes, it's all about religion. Where do you go to church? Oh, you go to that one? Oof, boy. <laughs> right? Respectability, right? They don't care to do the law, Paul says. All they care is to get you in so they can boast about it. Isn't it interesting with religious people? They go, I got them in. I got them in. They're circumcised. We got them. They don't care about the rest of the law. They just said they want to get them in. Oh, yeah, I told them about it. I told them about it. They don't care about the rest of the law. They may boast about it, but they don't know Jesus as Savior. They just completely are about respectability. Where do you go? How much time you spend you know, looking in the mirror to get to a place? To church, I guess. How much time you spend doing that? And then could care less how the heart looks. Could care less what the attitude is. But man, they look good. They got the hat, they got the dress, they got the thing, and, but they're absolutely an outward appearance. Number three, it's all about human merit. It's all about human merit. Their desire to keep you circumcised that they may boast on your flesh. It's all about what they're going to get. It's all about merit, right? This is the worst one. We have achieved this. You ever talk to somebody that's in religion? You ever talk to somebody who's trying to do the religious thing? I've done this, I've done that. I went to here. I went to the pilgrimage. We had this thing. And they brag about their success. Brag about their success. I I find a challenge for you. Name something in the New Testament where the Bible says this was a successful church. 
There's never a mention in the New Testament of a successful church. This is a successful church. None. There's a faithful church. That's what the Bible says. It's a faithful church, but not a successful church. How do you rate success? You know, we go out in the street, share the gospel, festival lights, other places. People come up and say, do you have success in here? I said, well, what do you mean success? <laughs> you know, I know where they're going with this, you know, because they don't want us to be out there. That's, that's the point. You've had success? Because if we say, well, what kind of success? Well, you know, you see hundreds of people come to the Lord. No, not that kind of success. Because then we'll, be pe- we'll probably be pe- preaching a false gospel if that was the case. But success? My answer to this, was Noah successful? Was Noah successful? Was Jeremiah successful? Yeah, Noah had eight people. They're all related to him. That's it. That's all the converts he ever had. 150 years preaching. Boy, I got a long way. 150 years preaching. Had eight people saved. That's it. If you were to take him to the way seminaries and the way churches are, are evaluated, complete failure. Horrible. Was Jeremiah successful? He had one guy that followed him. He got him out of prison. That's it. It's success. That's success. But the Bible doesn't rate it in success. Was it faithful? Was he faithful to do that? Was he faithful to share God's word? Was he faithful to share, to live and share gospel with uh, the gospel of Jesus? That's what the Bible, if you're going to rate success, that's how it rates it. Success, faithful, faithfulness. It's, it's human merit. Religion is all about human merit. It's always about how to get to God. How am I going to get to God? Climb the ladder. Climb this. Do this. Do the. Everything is about what I've done. The gospel of Jesus is what Jesus has done. He's come down. We didn't go up. He came down to us. That's religion. And you know what? The problem with the religion, it's, 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 it's really devastating, is the average person in America looks at this and goes, I don't want it. I don't want religion. It's hypocritical. It's social. It's about class. They reject you if you're not in the group, blah, 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 this. The average person, the young person goes, I want nothing to do with religion. But that's what they find in most places. Religion, do this, do that, climb the ladder of success. And they, they, they might like Jesus, but they don't like the church. That's right, Pastor, tell them don't go to church anymore. No, that's not the answer. That's what some people would like to think. Problem with the church. No, you know what the problem is? It's religion. It's religion that has invaded the church, that has invaded Christianity, and it made it into churchianity. And the world sees it and they go, I don't want it. Keep it. I don't want it. It's like, no wonder I can get anybody to come to church. However, if the cross of Jesus is your central point, if the cross of Jesus is what your heart is set on, if the cross of Jesus is at the heart of the gospel and at the heart of the teaching of any church, then the cross works. Then people see it and go, this is, this is not religion. This is gospel. This is Jesus. This is, this is a worship from a true heart. This is a conversion of people's hearts and minds that have been transformed by Jesus Christ. It's the cross that's it's seen in its place, right? It's erected right in the center of it. It says, this is the cross. This is our emblem. This is our, not, not as a symbol, but as a life. Not as a symbol, but our living reality, a new creation. And people see it and they go, how did you change? What happened? How did this happen? The cross, not religion, the cross. It can never be the cross. Remember the cross? Is the cross persecuted? Absolutely. 
Those who take on the cross are willing. Those who take on religion, mm -mm, I'm out of here. Getting too hot. That's the difference. If it's at the center of our worship, then people will come and people will see it. What's the problem? We lift up religion. This is what I do. This is what I do on Sundays. Rather than an everyday active relationship through the cross. And by the way, um, people turn off religion, but they have to have something else. So they turn off religion, they go secularism, New Ageism, paganism, anything but Jesus. And so it's, it's be, it's, behooves the Christian. It's, it's the calling of Christians to put the cross as the center of your message. This is what happened to me. This is what Jesus has done for me. Verse 14. But now, verse 14. But it never be, may it never be that we put religion ahead of Jesus. May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What greater sentences I cannot find in the New Testament encapsulating the Christian life. Paul is saying, I can't boast in anything. I can't boast in anything because I'm associated with the cross. Are you associated with the cross today? That's the question, right? Nothing to boast about. In fact, all of my life, what I've done has only brought me to the edge of judgment. All that I've done has led me to the point where God says, you know, if you keep doing this, you're qualified to be condemned. All that I've done is qualified to be condemned as a person, as a man, as a sinner. I have qualified myself by my behavior to be condemned. But then Jesus came one day. And Jesus came one day, and he hung on a cross for me and rose, and rose again on the third day to give me eternal life. And he saved me. Where's the boasting? <laughs> Not in myself. What did I do? Everything up to the point led me to condemnation. I did this. I did that. I did the other. I thought this. I violated that. And then Jesus came one day, and the gospel came, and he rescued me. How am I going to turn around and say, man, I've been such a good Christian. I've been such a good Christian. God got a good thing when he got me. It can never be like that. But religion does that, isn't it? Religion goes... You do this, you do that, and you tell others you did it. You prayed 50 times. You did the rosary 30 times. You went to the novena, the hajj, the thing, the knock on doors. You do all these things, and you boast about it. I've been good. The cross is, no, you haven't been good. And it's only Jesus who rescued you. So the boasting is back to the cross, right? Amen. I can boast on only one thing, Jesus. His life, his obedience, his suffering, his death. His resurrection, his love, that's my boasting. That's my boasting today. I got nothing to boast except what Jesus did for me. Amen. That's it. Well, how, what am I going to say? I've been such a good guy. No, I haven't. I have not. Oh, pastor, you need prayer. Yes, please. A lot of it. But when Jesus grabbed a hold of me, everything changed. Amen. Everything changed. I don't do those things anymore by the grace of God, but not because I did it. Because he gave me a new creation. We'll talk about that. Let's, let's keep going. What do people do under the law? They boast how they kept it. Paul is saying, I've been crucified to the world. Right? The world was crucified to me, I'm sorry, and I to the world. What is, what is Paul relating to this? The cross. The cross. We don't understand it too well because we're removed from first century, but the cross was an execution place of execution, was a place of uh, shame, was a place of torture, 
was a place that nobody would want to go to. And then Paul says, I boast in that. Isn't that amazing? The shame. I boast in the shame of Jesus. Well, the, the world would be like, what, what are you talking about? How do you be boastful in shame? It's because something happened on that cross that changed everything. Absolutely changed everything. No one boasts about the cross. You notice that? No one boasts about the cross. Not anymore. We used to have songs that would boast on the cross. Wonderful hymns. Old rugged cross. Now it's, you know, church attendance and stomping the devil and going around and claiming authority. That's all it is now. I'm talking about, I'm sure there are good ones out there. But the majority of them, based on the cross. What does the cross do? A few things. Personal detachment. Personal detachment. I'll give you a Greek lesson real quick. Everybody all right with that? Okay. Simple, right? Paul says that I may boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus. The word cross, stodio, stodio. It could mean a cross, but also could mean a fence. Paul's playing on words here, right? It's a play on word. I may boast on the cross. What did the cross do? It detached me from the world. What did it do? It created a fence. What's a fence? You have a vertical and a horizontal, right? Post. It's like a cross. That's what Paul is saying. It's a play on words. I put a cross. I put a fence. The cross is my fence between the world and me. I now have a separation. You see the play on words? Okay. I did a terrible job explaining it, so hopefully it worked out. There's a separation now. What's the separation? The cross. Stodio, right? That's the word that Paul uses. Fence? What kind of fence? The cross. You know that vertical post with the horizontal one behind me? Not a symbol. Not the symbol. Not the symbol. But a living reality. Has that really happened? Has the world been detached from you? Pastor, what's the world? We have to leave the earth? Go in space? No. The world is the word cosmos. C-O-S-C-O-S-M-O-S. Cosmos. What is cosmos? Literally means the order of things. The order of things. All right? I'm not getting into why does it mean cosmetics. You know, it's, it's, it's a root for cosmetics. And you kind of get an idea of why it's called the order of things. Should I say it? No. I'll leave it alone. Right? Cosmetics. Put things in order. That's what people use them. Put things in order. You know? Is that the right thing? Is that good? All right. <laughs> Email me later. Send it to Roy. Send it to Roy. Email me later. Cosmetics. Cosmology. Cosmos. It literally means the order of things, how things are. In the world, there is a way of doing things. How you live, how you view things, the philosophy, right? What the values are, that is what Paul is referring to. That's mostly what the Bible refers to. It's the world, the cosmos, right? What exactly is the priorities of this world, the system of the world? That's what he's referring to. I am detached from that. I have a cross between me and that world. I have a separation. I don't do what I used to do because the cross is before me now. I have come to the place where I could uncouple myself from the world. There's a detachment. Unfortunately, the church kind of goes like this now because we've forgotten the cross. Because we've forgotten the detachment. We should be like this. Where God's going, I'm going. 
But Christians say, no, it's too hard. The world seems much easier to do. And the cross is forsaken. And the cross is thrown away. Paul says, I have thrown away the world. I have thrown away the world. I'm cut off from it. Right? The cross cuts you off from the system of the world. The Amen. world is under the power of the wicked one. Yeah. That's what the Bible says. This might be sound, this is true, but it may be sound a little shocking. There's no hope for the world. The system. There's hope for people. But the system will never be changed. Did you realize that? It'll never be changed. It's on a one-track ending to the judgment of God. That's what's going to happen to the world. Read Revelation 17 and 18. It's on a one-track system to the end. There's no hope for it. What's the hope? Get out of it. Get out of the world. Get out of the system of the world. I'm not talking about the birds, the snails, the trees, things like that, but the system, how it thinks. Let me give you an example. What does the world think of marriage? Is it different than than God's? Yeah. Which one do you want? Children, right? There's There's a system of the world regarding children, the way they think about children, the way they think about romance, love, marriage. Everything's different. Think about the life of a baby. The world has an opinion about it. It has a system. It has a priority. It's not God's priority. It's not God's system. Money. How about money? Does God say a lot about money? Absolutely, a lot. What does the world say about it? Get all of it. Get it now. doesn't matter who. Step on everybody. Just get it. God says, no, use it. Use it for the kingdom. Bring people in. Remember, the world uses people to get Corporate world, been there, done that. It uses people to get money. God says, if you have money, I'm going to use it to win people. That's different, isn't it? It's upside down. It's a whole system upside down. Paul says, I'm dead to the world. I'm done. I'm dead to the world. It's not important. Social ambition, I don't want it. I'm cut off. The world's cut me off. They went to Charles Spurgeon one time, and they said, Pastor, now that I've been a Christian, you think I could, uh, how do I give up the world? Spurgeon said, don't worry, they'll give you up very fast. Now that you're a Christian, they'll give you up. Don't worry about that. You know, all that thing that we used to do in the world, um, the ambition, you're a misfit now. They look at you and they go, you believe the Bible? I thought it was a phase in your life. I thought you were just having a hard time and you went to church or something. But I didn't know you were going to take it this serious. Hey, you, believe the, you literally believe the Bible? You believe creation? You believe that? Oh, man, what happened to you? You don't fit in anymore. You don't laugh at their jokes anymore. You walk in the room and look like you got leprosy on. Right? You don't do what they used to do anymore, right? You're dead to the world. The world's attraction is not important. Remember how important it was? The world's attraction. Oh, man, I can't miss that. I, I have to be there. I have to be there. I have to go. I can't miss it. Now you go, you know what? I don't even like it anymore. I don't even care about it. If I miss it, who cares? Let's go tell people about Jesus. (laughs) Let's put the cross right in our lives. Let's die to ourselves. Who thinks like that? Christians. The cross is concerned with the inward righteousness. Look what it says. I may boast, may it never be except the boast of, uh, on the bo- boasting on, on the cross of Jesus. That's the only thing we can boast on. I've been crucified to the world and I to the world. This cross is concerned with the new creation. 
Verse 15, for neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. You know, the cross is concerned about the inward. While religion cares about the outward and the flesh and all the things you can parade around and how you look and what you do and what you say and the rituals and where you go, the cross says, are you real? Are you real? You're not concerned about respectability. You're concerned about righteousness. Is the righteousness of Jesus in me today? Well, it doesn't matter what church you go to as long as you teach the Bible, right? It doesn't matter what the building says. It matters what the inward, right? Inside a person. Paul says it doesn't matter the outward ceremony, but the new creation. Are you new? That's what I put there. Are you new? Or is it still the old? Are you in that slope? Heading down to the world? As oh, pastor, I'm here. I you know, remember, it's the inward. You could be here and be in the world. You can be physically in this building, but be completely in the world. How? Where your heart is? That's where your treasure is. You can be completely in decline. You can be completely so emerged in it that you can care less about righteousness, about doing the right thing, but it's all about the respectability of being a religious person. The cross is concerned about the new creation, a new life. Christ didn't die to make me respectable. Christ died to make me good like him. That's what he did. Christ didn't die to make me respectable in front of people. He died to make me good, just like him, to change me and put a new creation in me. That's what he did. That's what he wants. Religion can't do that. A new life, a new behavior, a new outlook, everything that changed. Remember that moment that changed? You walked into a room and you said, man, this looks different. It's the same person. It's you. Nothing's changed outwardly, but you see things differently now. Hey, I didn't even laugh at the joke. One day I showed up with my friends, and it was like I was a Martian. <laughs> I was so out of this world. What happened to me? And they knew. They could tell. And they're like, what happened to me? What happened to you? I don't know. Hey, you want to go here? No, no, I really don't. You, you want to you drink that? No, I really don't. You want to hit that? No, no, I don't. I, I want to go to church. What? Are you crazy? <laughs> I got to get up tomorrow. I got, I got Bible study. I got, I got to teach the kids. I was doing a little children's ministry. Oh, come on. You get, get out of here. And it was like they were three feet away from me, but I was a world's apart. Now, I wanted righteousness at that point, but what caused that to happen wasn't me. I was on the other side. And then Jesus came and bridged that gap. He said, put a cross right in the middle. He says, you follow that. You stick to that. How different is it? And I've talked to you guys. I've talked to Christians. It's a man, it is so different. My eyes don't see the same thing. It's like the Lord, you know, he, he, I would say ruined us, but he made us good. He ruined us for this world. We're no good for this world anymore. That's what I mean. He ruined us. How can you live in this world? Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to get out. You know, I can't wait to get out. It's like, I, you know, I have this joke saying, you know, stop the world. I want to get off. It's true. I do. I want to get off. It's like going in a, you know, you get in this thing and you go and, you know, you go to the, 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 the what is it, magic mountain thing and you go on the, the rides and you get on and you're like, please get me off. I'm tired of this. I'm going to vomit eventually. And that's what it feels like. Oh, pastor, you're so self-righteous. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to be. I'm sorry if I am. It's only what Jesus did. He ruined me for this world. But he'd make me right for the next one. 
He made me right for the next one. So what are we still doing here? It's because people need to get on to the new world and leave the old world. The cross is not based on human merit. Look what it says. I neither circumcision or uncircumcision. And those who, verse 16, who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. It's not based on human merit. It is based on mercy. Do you read that verse 16? Mercy. It's a beautiful word. Beautiful word. Mercy. We'll get to peace in a moment because Paul's making a case. Good catch, though. Mercy. If you walk by human merit, you, God always owes you something, right? If you walk by human merit, God always owes you something. It's like you're building up an account. See, God, look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. Now you owe me. Right? Human merit. I'm building up my account. God's mercy says, no, you are in so much debt that you'll never pay it off. I am going to give you mercy so you don't have to pay that price. That's mercy. Where's the boasting again? And him, I was so indebted to God, I couldn't even get out of, I couldn't even make a down payment on anything. Jesus said, you know, you need to agree with your adversary. Or he puts you in prison, and then you'll never get out. You need to agree with God. You need to agree with God at that point and say, God, please get me out of this. Otherwise, I'm going into that cell, and I'm never going to get out. Right? Hell is real, and forever is a long time. Only Jesus can get us out. Only his mercy. Do you read that? His mercy. Boy, there's no boasting. If there was a self-righteous <laughs> message in Paul's uh, letters, this is one. Against self-righteousness, right? Mercy. The Israel of God. i got to finish real quick. The cross brings me to mercy. The cross brings me to his, his mercy. I can't save. I can't save myself. I can't save anybody. Only the cross of Jesus, it separates me. Um, Human merit, it's only mercy. And Paul says, by this rule, we'll get to Israel of God in a minute. By this rule, the word can in there, it's a standard. What is is Paul talking about, this standard? Everyone who, uh, those who walk by this rule, the rule is only the new creation can get us there. Right? The only thing that matters is the new creation. Religion doesn't matter. Ceremonies doesn't matter. Rituals don't matter. It's the new creation when you're changed at the cross. By the way, this is a side point, but if you want to study it further, I encourage you. There are three things Paul says he's crucified to. In Galatians, he's crucified to the law. He's crucified his flesh. And now he says he's crucified to the world. Those are the three dimensions of the Christian life. We talked about it in each message but I just wanted to bring it side by side so you could see it. Crucified to the law, regulations. Crucified to your flesh when you're ruled by the inside. You want to do things yourself. And then it says crucified to the world. What the world gives you as a standard. This is how you ought to live. And you say, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not going to live by that. I'm going to live by the cross, the cross of Jesus. The Israel of God. Who's he talking about here? It's really interesting. Paul doesn't mention many things about this except in Romans 11, 9 through 11. But the Israel of God, people have wondered, what is this Israel of God? Who, who are the Israel of God? Well, in context, Paul is referring to his own people, the Jewish people, who have, like him, believed in the Messiah, a remnant, 
in the Old Testament, you had a remnant of Jewish people who believed in the promise of the Messiah. They were the remnant. Not all Israel is Israel. Remember that. Not all Jews are all Jews, true Jews, right? There's a difference. The remnant of Israel, the true remnant of Israel, faithful believers in the Old Testament and New Testament. I always like to ask this question. Is Paul part of the church or part of Israel? Interesting, isn't it? So there is no replacement theology, <laughs> right? The disciples, part of Israel, part of the church. Both. It's an, it's an overlapping thing, meaning that we as Gentile believers are not necessarily the Israel of God. We're not biologically sons of Abraham. But by faith, we are incorporated, grafted into the Israel of God. We're a continuation of the faithful men and women in the Old Testament. We're a continuation of that as the remnant of God. We're a remnant of God's people. Was there a remnant in the old? Was there a remnant in the time of Jesus? Is there a remnant now? Absolutely. Jew and Gentile together in one body, Christ Jesus. Now, before Jesus came, there was only two types of people, Jew and Gentile. Jesus has come, and if you read Ephesians, I might study that next book, I think. If you read Ephesians, it says, God has created a new man, a third person in this world. Isn't that amazing? There's a third type of humanity in this world, those in Christ Jesus, who can be Jew and can be Gentile. So there's now Jew, Gentile, believers. Isn't that amazing? You're part of a new creation. Then it does what Paul said, a new man. You are a new man in Christ Jesus, a new humanity that's never existed before. Amen. Jew, Gentile, all the time. Jesus comes, Jew, still there. Gentiles, still there. Christians, believers. Oh, are you, are you in one of the other ones? Or are you in the new man, the new creation? In the new creation. There's a new humanity. Christians, believers, what a privilege. Amen. What an honor to be part of God's new creation. But it has to be a new creation. Otherwise, you're a Jew or a Gentile in the old creation. You have to be part of the new creation, Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus. The Israel of God, faithful believers. we got to finish off. Paul gets to the end. And as Paul gets to the end, he probably sees his hands scarred. His back hurts. His hands, he's got scar tissue on it. Back of his hand, forward of his hands, right? His body covered in him. And he says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. What is he saying? I've suffered. I suffered for his sake. You want to go with the false teachers who say the mark of a, of a true believer is circumcision? That's not the true marks. The true marks is the ones I have. I have been faithful, and because I've been faithful, I have suffered. Suffered like our Lord. You want to see a true follower of Jesus? See who's suffering for the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. Paul is bearing the marks of Jesus. I am no fair-weather Christian, Paul is saying. I'm no fair-weather. When the good times are there, I'm there. When bad times come, I'm still there. And I bore the hardships and the difficulties of being a Christian under extreme circumstances. We don't have time to read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, I've been beaten 
five times with 39, with 40 lashes minus one, so 39. I did the math, five times 39, 195. Been with rods, been in shipwrecked, left for dead, in prison, in cold, in sickness. I've been betrayed by the Jews, I've been betrayed by the Gentiles, I've been betrayed by false believers. I was left alone. I've suffered these things. I've been hungry. I've been full. I've done all these things because of Jesus. Let no one say that I'm not following him. That's what he's saying. Let no one say I'm not following Jesus. You think these guys in Galatians, you think they suffer for Jesus? (laughs) Remember, religion runs from persecution. Paul says, I'm enduring it. You want to see scars? Not the scars of the circumcision. You want to see the true scars of a follower? Look at my body, Paul says. I bear the marks of Jesus. These are what makes me a Christian in Paul's ministry. Now remember, I'm not saying Christians ought to go out and get persecuted on purpose. Right? That'll come just on the basis of you being a follower of Jesus. We might not be all be persecuted the same way as Paul. But don't you remember when we were baptized into Jesus, we were baptized into his death and suffering and the power of the resurrection. Don't forget that part too, because that's the, that's the victory. The marks of a Christian. You may not be persecuted today, but are you willing? Is the cross so important to you that if it happened, you would say, I'm not leaving. Paul didn't leave. Paul stayed. Paul says, I'm dealing with this. Because Jesus suffered, we've been called to suffer. Look at my body, look at my marks. Not the false guys. The false guys just want to put a circumcision on you. Anybody can do that. But are you willing to stay? I'm no fair-weather Christian. I'm no fair-weather Christian. Where did Paul get this courage? Where did Paul get this courage? Where did he get it from? Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. The courage of Paul is remarkable, unreal, unbelievable. One of my heroes of the faith. How did he do it? Well, in 2 Corinthians, after describing the thorn in the flesh, an agent of Satan, a super-duper demon, came against him, buffeted him for all of his life. Never gave up on Jesus. He was given so much revelation. He was given so much insight and knowledge and truth that in order for him not to get boastful and proud of what he knew, God allowed a demonic spirit to buffet him. Everywhere he went, Paul was suffering because of this. And he never left Jesus. And he asked Jesus, can you please take this away? Three times he asked him. What did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient. You want to know where Paul got this courage, this type of courage? Grace. Grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Brethren, amen. Grace, genuine love, generous kindness is how we should translate it. Because grace doesn't, doesn't mean anything anymore, right? We don't use that word so much. Oh, he's gracious. He's got a lot of grace. He moves with a lot of grace. It's like, what does that mean anymore, right? The Bible says grace is generous love. Kindness, unmerited. Just God wants to be kind to you. That's all. That's grace. He wants to be kind to you without getting anything back. He just gives you grace. 
But grace is not something that you find on the street and go, I'm looking for grace. My daughter's name's Karis. Grace, right? Karis. Free. We translate it free, but it's unmerited, like, ungen- um, like generous kindness. It's such a beautiful word. Love. You can't find it. You can't go on the street and go, oh, here's some grace. Here's a little bit here. Here's a little bit there. What, is Jesus, what does Paul say? The grace of our Lord Jesus. You know grace is found? In a person. Amen. The only way you're going to find grace, it's in a personal, living, active relationship with Jesus the Messiah. It's the only way. He's found in a person. Grace. It says, that grace, I want it to be found among a family. See? My brothers, brethren. Grace should be shared among family. This is a family. Believers are family. Grace is to be ministered to the family. Isn't that beautiful? The family. We have a big brother. Hebrew says we have a big brother. His name is Jesus. He's our brother. He's a big brother. And he gives us his grace, and we're to share that grace among the believers. But where is the grace supposed to go to? In your innermost being, your spirit. Paul says, I put everything on the line. I've written everything that I need to write to you. You show, I showed you my thoughts, my concern. May the grace of God restore you to the truth. May the grace of Jesus keep you from these false brethren, these false teachers. May the grace of God go deep within you to your spirit, to your innermost, and then you share it with your brothers and sisters. What a beautiful letter, isn't it? It's such a, I don't know why churches don't teach us much in anymore. It's, it's a hard letter at the beginning. Paul minces no words, tells you straight what it is. Peter, you're wrong. Galatians, you're wrong. Pharisees or uh, the Judaizers, you're wrong. Here's what's right. The gospel, the cross, Jesus, be changed in your innermost part. Don't be ruled by external laws. Don't be ruled by your own inward laws. Be ruled by the Spirit. Amen. Walk together. Keep the cross before you. Separate yourself from the system of the world and hang on to the cross. Lord, keep us from religion and keep us at the cross. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are in awe of this letter. How beautiful it has interwoven every aspect of Christian liberty. It told us what to stay away from. It told us what to embrace. It told us what to follow, who to follow, and what to do. Lord, may the grace of you, Jesus, be upon everyone here in their innermost part, in their innermost being. May they find the grace of Jesus as they relate to you, Lord, as a person in a real way. May the Holy Spirit spring forth from them torrents, rivers of living water. Lord, we pray that each one, Lord, will bear the fruit of the Spirit and the marks of Jesus, perhaps, Lord God, not in a physical way now, but Lord, but maybe in the future. But Lord, we do know that we have suffered the loss of many things. Maybe even rejection, even ridicule, maybe even among other people that claim to know you, we have been shunned because of our faith in you. Lord, we do pray that we will not take action in ourselves or bitterness in our heart, Lord God, but 
a true grace working in us to proclaim, Lord, who you really are to the world. Give us, Lord, the cross. Give us Jesus. We thank you for what he's done. And as we take communion today, we pray that we will continue to have him in the center and the innermost being of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.